You know, one of the unique things about my personality is that um, when I take an interest in something, and it could be a scripture passage, or it could be a, a scripture topic, or it could be just something uh, random in the world, whatever might, might come across my mind, if I take an interest in it, I have this tendency to study it until I understand everything about it that I want to understand about it. I don't like having uh, loose ends on things that uh, I figure like I need to understand. And, uh, and some time ago, I worked at Tulsa Golden Gems, and I really, really enjoyed that job. I uh, had a great time, great people, uh, very high ethic, and uh, recommend them highly. But um, in that job, one of the things that I really enjoyed about it was that I was the first person that customers saw when they came in to sell their gold or their silver or their diamonds. And, and that meant that I had to be knowledgeable about the business. And as the newest employee, when I started working there, I figured I had some catching up to do. And I really didn't know that much about gold or silver or diamonds up to that point. And so I was supposed to start work the next day and I began studying. And I uh, learned a lot about uh, gold and, and silver and diamonds. I looked at the website, which was very informative the, for the business. And the next day when I came to work, I informed the owner of the business that the guys that designed the website made a couple of mistakes um, with uh, how gold is measured. And uh, he was very appreciative of that uh, because he didn't want to give out any false information. Um, but one of the things I discovered about gold that I, up to that point I just didn't know was carrots, gold carrots. And I know that diamonds, you know, come in carrots. I thought, well, what's the difference between a diamond carrot and a, a carrot of gold? What, what, what does that mean? I discovered that gold carrots is simply a purification scale. In other words, 100% uh, pure gold is called 24 carats. It's based on a scale of 24. And, um, and so 12 carat gold would be 50% pure gold and 50% other alloys. Uh, most of your rings and jewelry um, is 14 carat gold. That's the typical, what's typically sold in the United States. Sometimes class rings can be 10 carat gold. Um, if you come across 18 carat gold for jewelry, it's very soft, very malleable, but it's more pure, and there's a, there's a brilliance to it. You'll hardly ever come across anything that's 24-karat gold or something close to it because it, that has to be refined uh, incredibly. And, uh, and so I, I discovered this about gold and, and how the refining process actually works. In, in Scripture, in the Greek language, in the New Testament, there's a word that means purity of character. Sometimes, in extra-biblical Greek, it talks about purity of gold or purity of other metals, silver, uh, something where the dross has been eliminated from that, uh, from that metal. But it also talks about purity of character of humans or even purity of char the character of God. And uh, the word is a little word called uh, dokimos. It means sterling worth. It means, it means something that has been tested something that has been purified, something that has been uh, found to be trustworthy. It's something that's withstood the test. And this word, this idea of something withstanding the test, of being gazed upon and, and tested, 
We find it in the Christmas story. Although, for most of our lives, uh, when we've told the Christmas story time and time again to our kids, or we've heard it, or we've seen it, uh, um, uh, Charlie Brown specials and whatever might tell you the Christmas story, we miss this concept that is so important if we really want to understand the Christmas story from God's perspective and specifically, really, from the angel's perspective. And, uh, and so we've missed one of these incredible truths that we find in Scripture. Uh, so take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. Now, I'm going to read from a Bible that I was given when I believe I was six years old. And the print, uh, my eyes are not as good as they were when I was six years old. I may have to have one of you hold this. Um, but this Bible still has my name in print on the front. Uh, it is a King James Version Bible. This is the Bible, even though I was six and did not understand all the hitherto's and the thou's and these, um, this is the Bible that uh, I would read for, for many years when I was a kid. And it was this Bible that means very much to me. Uh, I've got a lot of sentiment about this Bible because it is this Bible that really helped me in my formative years fall in love with Scripture and fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to read this to you in King James because this is the version when we get to verse 14 of Luke 2, that, that we hear typically. Um, beginning in verse 7, Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in that same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, if you were to take a modern version of Scripture, and I'll just take the English Standard Version, it's typically what I preach from, but you could look at the New American Standard, New International Version, any of the modern versions, and you read verse 14, it reads a little bit differently. Verse 14 in the modern versions, this ESV says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's a lot different than peace, goodwill toward men, which is what we typically see is on some of the cards that we just filled out. Um, and so... I began to wonder, you know, what's going on? Why is it so different among these two, two versions? And, and what, what, uh, what's the answer to the difference? And is there anything significant here? Um, and that's where our little word that I talked about, docomos, trustworthy, stood the test, comes in. 
um, the entire Christmas story, as viewed by the angels, hinges on this word. And what we find when we read in the King James Goodwill, or when we read in one of the other standards, God's favor toward man, um, is that little word, uh, it's a root of that word, dokia, and it's coupled with another word. It's coupled with the prefix u, eu, u. Eu means good. And we talk about going to someone's funeral and you hear a eulogy. It starts with the word eu. It means good. Eulogy means good word. Logos means word. A eulogy is a good word about somebody. And it's a shame that we have eulogies only at funerals. We really ought to give good words to people throughout their life and not just wait till they're dead before we talk good about them. Um, but uh, that's what a eulogy is. Well, uh, eudokia means good and tested. Something that is good and it's withstood the test. So, back to our example with gold. If you were to take a ring down to a, a gold dealer, and you were to say, I want to get this ring tested. And, uh, and so, it, perhaps it's your wedding ring, ladies, and, and you got your wedding ring tested, and the, the gold dealer told you, uh, this is fake gold. You would not be pleased with your husband, would you, if that happened to you? Uh, but if it withstood the test... And it, they said, this is good gold. This is pure. Then the reaction in you would be, I'm pleased with that, right? And that's what we find in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Somebody is pleased. Somebody's happy. The angels are telling us that because Jesus was born on the earth, God receives glory in the highest. And on earth... There's peace, and somebody's pleased. The question is, who is it? If it's man who is pleased, then the idea is, on the earth, we wish for peace, and we wish for man to treat one another well, and for people to be pleased. Goodwill toward man. But if, on the other hand, if God is the one who is pleased then it's God who has now shown favor to mankind. And, uh, and so, you know, which one is it that's pleased? Well, the answer is found with the angels. Now, we don't know a whole lot about angels. Um, and one of the reasons we don't know a lot about angels is because we've, we've grown up and we've become accustomed to all kinds of mythology about angels um you know we we think if i mention angels to you maybe you think of little naked baby angels you know perhaps with wings maybe shooting cupid's arrow at somebody or you know you see you see paintings of angels and many times it's paintings of you know beautifully clothed women angels with wings and we really don't understand what scripture says when it talks about angels and and in addition to that the people that seem to be most interested in angels on earth are also very interested in horoscopes and palm reading and their weirdo types and they're out in Sedona, Arizona, worshiping crystals and everything else. And so uh, we sort of stay away from the whole deal. Um, we could learn some important things, though. Important things about God. 
if we took the right interest in angels, if we understood angels biblically. And these angels specifically tell us something very interesting about Jesus and very important about him. You see, in ancient Jewish thought, Jews were very interested in angels. Of course they were interested in God, but they took a much higher and greater interest in angels than we do today. And there's one kind of angel that's called a ministering angel that they describe in the Hebrew Scriptures. For example, Psalm chapter 104, verse 4 says, He makes his messengers, that's angels, he makes his messengers winds, his ministers a, flame, a flaming fire. What are ministering angels? Ministering angels are those angels that are around the throne of God. They're in the very presence of God, night and day. They are attendants in God's court. God is the king, and every king has his own court. God is the king, and he has his court too. And the attendants, the courtiers in his court, are these ministering angels. What do they do? They fulfill God's will, how? By praising God night and day. These ministering angels, their goal in their existence is to give God honor. They're greatly concerned that God, the creator of all things, receives the honor that is due to him. Now, that's what Scripture tells us about these ministering angels. In addition to Scripture, ancient Jews had a lot of commentaries on Scripture. And these don't rise to the same authority as Scripture, but it does tell us what the people in Jesus' day typically believed about angels or whatever the topic may be. And so I'll refer to these commentaries as ancient Jewish wisdom because it's pretty interesting when they begin to talk about angels as well. Ancient Jewish wisdom tells us that these angels, these ministering angels, were so dedicated to the honor and glory of God, that when God created man, they objected. They objected to Adam being created. Why? Because they could sort of see the writing on the wall that this creature was unlike any of the other creatures, and he might try to set himself up to be God, which, of course, happened. And they objected to God's creation of mankind couldn't understand why would God ever create this man that he gives the ability to disobey him why would God ever do that and they objected to that in Enoch chapter or in Genesis chapter 5 there's the man Enoch who's not mentioned very much but we know this about him that he walked with God and then one day was no more the idea was that he was so close to God that he never died. He was simply translated into the very presence of God, which is an incredible thought, by the way. Ancient Jewish wisdom said that the angels objected to Enoch being elevated like that. Ancient Jewish wisdom says that these ministering angels objected to God giving his holy law to Moses. Why would you entrust your holy rules that govern the universe to a sinful man was the idea. And so, in short, according to ancient Jewish wisdom, these ministering angels objected to the very idea of man. To them, man was a disaster. 
God, what did God do? God rescued Israel, his chosen people, from a land of idolatry. And what did they do? Very briefly after that, they set up a golden calf and they worshiped it. What a failure man is and even God's chosen people, according to these angels. Ancient Jewish wisdom says that the ministering angels went so far as to tell God after they started worshiping the golden calf that these, ancient, that these uh, ministering angels went up to God and said, what did we tell you? I told you so. We knew, that, we knew these men would break your heart. They wouldn't obey you. If Israel, God's chosen people, was faithless, then the rest of humanity was doomed. Man, according to these ministering angels in ancient Jewish wisdom, was a failed experiment. Now, with that in mind, let's look at Luke chapter 2 again. Beginning in verse 7. And she gave birth, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, that's Jesus, and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths. What's that? I mean, we don't have a swaddling. I've never been to a baby shower for someone, oh, thank you for the swaddling cloths. No one knows what, what swaddling cloths are. Swaddling cloths are narrow bands of cloth that are wrapped around a newborn child to restrain its movements and to quiet it. Also to keep it warm. Um, but it's, you sort of mummify this little baby, you know. You sort of wrap it up real tight, and it, and it keeps it close uh, to itself. Now, this was a fulfillment of Scripture. In Ezekiel chapter 16, let me read this to you. This is God talking to Israel. God says to, to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite. Your mother was a Hittite. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor were you rubbed with salt, nor were you wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I, no, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. God says to Israel, your birth, you came from different people, and nobody cared for you. Nobody even wrapped you in swaddling cloths. So on the day of Jesus' birth, when these ministering angels, knowing that Israel, God's chosen people, is not even worthy of swaddling cloths, they see this little baby. Who is? And if God has chosen Israel, who's not worthy of being wrapped in swallowing cloths, as his people, there's something different about this baby. Verse 7 continues in Luke chapter 2. She wrapped him in swallowing cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. We always focus on the inn. Really, we ought to focus on the manger. She laid him in a manger. Ancient Jewish wisdom, these ancient commentaries, says that when Adam sinned, he had a, an additional uh, kind of commentary back and forth with God. And that Adam had said, 
I'm worried, God, that you're going to tie me to a manger and you're going to make me eat grass like my donkey eats grass. And God said, no, I will not do that. Sort of a strange idea. You won't find it in Scripture. But it's this ancient Jewish commentary. These ministering angels would have known this teaching as well. That sinful man would not be connected to a manger. And so what we have on the day of Jesus' birth, we have these ministering angels. They're viewing the scene of the newborn Savior of the world. Now remember, these angels were concerned solely with God's honor and God's glory. And they possibly objected to mankind because mankind was not worthy of God, if we were to believe this ancient Jewish wisdom. But even if we were to cast that aside, to these angels who were always in the presence of God, we know this, at the very least, man was a mystery. Every other thing created on the earth does God's will. The hippos act like hippos. The water acts like water. Everything is as God created it to be, except for one thing, man. Man is a mystery to these angels. Why would God, who deserves all honor and glory and praise, create something that constantly displeases him? They have no idea until that night. We read in verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel, one angel, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, around the, around the shepherds, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby with two things going on. He's wrapped in swaddling cloths, and he's lying in a manger. Israel was not worthy of swaddling cloths, but Jesus is. Sinful man was not tied to a manger, but Jesus was placed in one. And all of a sudden, these ministering angels in the very presence of God begin to understand. Up to that point, Mankind has been a great disappointment to God. Up to that point, mankind was not worthy of God's favor, not worthy of God's honor, not worthy of the glory of God. But now, God has shown His favor to mankind. The eternal Son of God, whom the angels had known for all eternity, He has become 
a man. Now, through Christ, God can be pleased with humans. And when the ministering angels saw the eternal Son of God in the form of a baby, wrapped in swaddling cloths that Israel was not worthy of, laying in a manger that sinful man was not tied to. They knew something is different. This one is greater than Israel. This one is greater than sinful man. This one is the Son of God who sits at the right hand of the Ancient of Days that we have known for all eternity. And that's when they say, in verse 13, it says, Suddenly there was a great, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. It is Christ, it is through Christ, that God receives glory in the highest. It is because he became that little baby so many years ago. It is through Christ that we are the recipients of God's peace, his shalom. And it is through Christ that we are the ones that can say God favors us. He loves us. The angels understand why God loves man. It is not because of man's sin, but it is because of Christ and his perfect righteousness. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, it is without, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Why in the world would God bring the eternal Son of God to the earth in the fashion that he did? Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths, not a, not a royal garment, but in the cloths of a, common, of a commoner to show his humility. The great Son of God humbling himself to become one of us. Jesus was born and placed in a manger, not a king's palace, which you and I would say he rightfully deserves. But he was placed in a manger. Why? To show his accessibility. Could the shepherds walk into the king's palace that day? No. The king is inaccessible. But could they walk up to a feeding trough? And that's where the Lord of all the earth was placed, in a feeding trough where anyone could come and be a part. Anyone could come and worship. And when those ministering angels who spend day and night praising and honoring God witness this, they realize just how much God loves mankind. They see what God was up to for all of these centuries. And that's why Jesus became a human. So man, you and I, could glorify God and receive His peace.